0: Let's look at Ephesians, the first chapter again, as we are using the book of Ephesians as a kind of a springboard. And the message this morning is the pleasure of predestination. Let's read in Ephesians 1 and beginning in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And here's the first blessing. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And here's our subject for today. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Last week, as we concluded the message, we talked about Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, where He says, I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. And the Lord doesn't just have your name inscribed in the palms of His hand. He has you inscribed there. It's not just a name. It's not just a dry piece of parchment with your name on it. You are inscribed in the hands of Christ. You yourself. And as we consider this next blessing that is listed, which, by the way, could be one of the most reviled subjects in the Word of God, and I believe it's because we've lost sight I don't believe it. I know it's because we've lost sight of the pleasure of God that is in predestination. Let's first talk about the technical side of predestination. The word itself is you don't have to study too long in the word of God to cover all the occurrences of where this word occurs. It is the Greek word pro or it's two words. It means to limit in advance, to predetermine or determine before or ordain. The two words broken down, one is pro, and it means before or in front of. It also carries the meaning of being superior because it's in front of. You think of someone who wins a championship or becomes number one. They are the forefront. They are in front. They're superior. Pro means superior. So in this sense, what God is doing is, is a superior work than over anything that could ever be done. The second word is horizo, which you might be familiar with, is the word horizon. To mark out the boundary or to look and set the horizon. Now, a lot of folks in the religious world, have a problem with this term. And when we see it in the light that it should be seen in, let me say this. It can be seen in no other light than the context, which is the pleasure of God. And that's what we're talking about. The pleasure in predestination. Psalm 115 and verse two says, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens." He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. You see, this is a verse that has to do with the sovereignty of God. And notice it says that he has done whatever he pleased. The pleasure of God is to do what he pleases. You see, the word pleased means to be inclined to or to bend or to desire. It says he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Whatever God is inclined to do, (laughs) that is what he will do. Psalm 135, and I think this is very applicable to what we're doing here today. Listen to verse 2. Ye that stand or sit, as you're doing this morning, ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all little g gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. (laughs) You see, God has done whatsoever He hath pleased. We talked last week about how he's chosen us in Christ, and it was before the foundation of the world. And it reminds me of the quote from S.M. Lockridge, the African-American evangelist from California. He's widely quoted on the Internet. You can read a lot about him. And S.M. Lockridge said this about where the Lord came from. The question was asked, you know, what about this before the foundation of the world? You know, where was the Lord? We we mentioned last week that he was in his glory. You remember? And S.M. Lockridge said the reason God came from nowhere is because there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And the reason he had to stand on nothing, there was nowhere for him to stand, and standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. Now you'll find that in Job 26 that he hung this world on nothing. And standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and struck the anvil of his omnipotence, and sparks flew therefrom, and he caught them on the tips of his fingers and flung them out into space and bedecked the heavens with stars... And nobody said anything. And the reason nobody said anything, there wasn't anybody there to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly how the stars got in the heavens, but it sure sounds like a good description, doesn't it? You see, God is sovereign. This is his universe. This is his creation. This is his world. You are his creation. Now the word predestination... And the Greek word occurs in Acts 4 and 28. He speaks of having foreordained to deliver up Jesus. The delivering up, the word that's used there, is foreordained. And to deliver up Jesus to the wicked, to do what they did to him before the cross and on the cross. In Romans 8 and 29 and 30, you'll find where it says whom are the individual group of people that he foreknew he also did predestinate. That's the word. To set the horizon in advance. To set the boundary in advance. It occurs twice there. And then in 1 Corinthians 2 and 7, the word of God speaks of the wisdom of God having been ordained before the foundation of the world. So what I want you to get out of that and from the book of Ephesians is it says, speaks of us who are predestinated. You see, according as he has chosen us in him, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. In verse 11, he speaks of the inheritance that is given to us, to individuals, to people. Every time the word predestination occurs, it has to do with people. You see, now there are times when the same Greek word is used and it has to do with an event that takes place. But when it comes to predestination, it is speaking of the people of God. He has set the destination of the people of God. Now that's kind of the technical side of predestination, but we want to speak about the pleasure side of predestination. Notice it says when it comes to God predestinating a people, it says whom Not what? It's speaking of the people of God. It's not talking about events that take place. That's a big thing that a lot of people have gotten tripped up on. That God's causing everything that happens. Every leaf that falls. The word of God does not teach that. (laughs) The word of God teaches that he has set the destination of his people. He has predestined where they will be. So it's whom, not what. So the question is, predestinated for what? I love to plan trips. Sometimes, I think in the past, the planning of the trip has actually been more fun than the trip itself. (laughs) Getting excited and thinking about where you're going to go. And then, you know, you have a, a tire blows out or the truck runs hot. You know, it's a lot more stressful on the trip than it is the actual planning of the trip. I often go back to our 2017 adventure out west where we were gone for almost three weeks. And I can remember when I finally got through, I had three or four people, a couple of you here in the audience, and one that's not here. I had three or four people calling to try to get us a spot in one of the campgrounds in Sequoia. And they had this lottery system where you had to call, you get up at six in the morning and call. And I called, didn't get it. Uh, The other one called, didn't get it. Another one called, but one of the four got it. And I was like, yes, we have a place. And I mean, the place was terrible. It didn't even have any kind of hook, it had no power. It was just a spot on the ground next to a tree. (laughs) It said lot number whatever. I'm like, I worked that hard for that destination? Are you kidding me? (laughs) But it was fun. You know, we were there. we got the generator on. But I love to plan trips. I want you to think of this now. God, his pleasure was to plan your trip. That's his pleasure. It pleased him. His desire is to plan your trip where you're going to be. I feel very comfortable and satisfied in that. (laughs) I feel very satisfied in knowing that God has planned my trip. Because I would have messed it up if it had been up to me to plan. As a matter of fact, I'd have never even been on the trip if I had planned it because of the sin of Adam. See? So, and I also think about this. God could have planned on us being there in heaven as inferiors or attendants or servants. And I thought, you know, it would have been very appropriate to just pin me to the wall and use me as a dartboard in heaven. I could just see God. Yeah, all that stuff he did. He's such a sinner. they just throwing darts at me. i I just be happy to be there, but I don't deserve to be there as a joint heir of Christ. (laughs) You see? Not only has God purposed your trip... Purpose your destination. But you're not just going to be there wishing you could be somebody or being some type of attendant or servant. You're going to be there as a joint heir of Christ. That's amazing. That's the pleasure of God. Not only are you going to be there as a joint heir of Christ, you're going to be there as an adopted child of God. You say, why do we have to be adopted? Because Adam is your father. He is your forefather. He is your federal head. And Adam sinned. And therefore, you're in the family of Adam and God in his grace and in his mercy and in his pleasure and his purpose. He has to adopt you out of the family of Adam to get you away from what you were. And he's going to take you home to be with him one day as an adopted child. Not only that, not only as a joint heir of Christ, adopted child, you're going to be his bride. You're going to be his bride. You're going to be married to Christ for all eternity. That's a lot better than being pinned to the wall and being used as a dartboard, right? Which none of we don't even deserve to be pinned to the wall. We deserve to burn in the lake of fire because of our sin. But God, in His pleasure, is going to have you there. Isn't it great that God is good? (laughs) You see, God could just say, "Well, I'll have them here, but I'm going to rub it in for all eternity what my son had to go through because of what they did." Aren't you glad God is not that kind of vindictive God? It reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia, where. Lucy Pevensey is having the conversation with Mr. Beaver after the Pevensey children have gone into Narnia. And Mr. Beaver begins to speak of Aslan, who is, by the way, that's the Turkish name for lion. But he begins to speak of Aslan. And they're like, who is that? They don't even know who Aslan is. And he, of course, is a type of Christ in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And Lucy says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds and says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's wild, you know. Not like a tame lion. Isn't it good to know that your God, in a much greater way than C.S. Lewis's Aslan, he is a good God. You see? I love what he says there. She says, is he safe? You understand that your God is not a safe God. He's not the little God that you put down in your box and in your pocket and say, Well, He's mine. You know, I've accepted Him. I've let Him in. I've done. That is the farthest thing from what God is. He is the wild center of the universe. He has done whatsoever He hath pleased. You want to know why so many people have fallen away from church? And they, they, they've, this is a time in which we see people just falling away left and right. It's because we've forgotten who the God is that we serve. He is not safe. He appears in the form of a tornado if He chooses to, like He did with Job. He appears in the form of a burning bush like He did with Moses. He appears in the form of a ram caught in a thicket like He did with Abraham. Need I go on? And then of all wonders of wonders, He appears in the form and flesh of a man in the days of Jesus Christ. He is a wild center of You can't put Him in your pocket and say He's my little God. That's why it says in Psalm 115 that the people said they make their gods, but they can't speak. They can't talk. I tell you, the God that's taught most of the time in the religious world today, He can't do anything. He can't even save you. Because you've got to let Him do something. Nothing could be further from the truth of our God that is in the heavens and hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. It's His, but He's good, you see. As much as we deserve to burn and as much as we deserve to pay for our sins... He's a good God and He's forgiven us in the blood of Christ. So you see, He's not a tame God, but He's a good God. So what does it mean? The pleasure of God is to predestinate you to be adopted as a child. It says that in Ephesians 1 and 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. That's a good thing. I won't rehash what I've spoken on before. But nobody gives an adoptive parent a hard time whenever they go to the adoption agency and adopt a child. One, two, however many they may adopt. Nobody gives... That's the best thing I've ever heard. Nobody gives me a hard time or you a hard time when you if you've chosen a wife or a spouse. That's their right to do that. But people give God a hard time saying He doesn't have a right to adopt and He doesn't have a right to choose whom He will. He doesn't have a right to choose a bride. Are you kidding me? He had a right not to choose anybody. But he, in mercy and in pleasure and in the purpose of God, he chose a number that no man can number. That's a great message to preach. You know that? That's a sad message that most of the other groups out there are preaching. If only we could get there. If only we could do this. If only you will do this. I've got a better message. God has done it. God will do it. And he will accomplish what he sets out to. That's a fun message to preach, let me tell you. I just I was thinking about this Sunday. I could picture in my mind just bragging on God. I couldn't wait to get here just to brag on our God who is in the heavens. I hope and I believe that he's listening today. And I believe that he would be pleased to know that we're giving him all the glory for our salvation and all the glory for the providences that he reveals in our lives. I believe he's pleased with that. You like to be bragged on, don't you? I like to be bragged on. Nothing pleases me more when Tracy says, "That's a good job you did there. And nothing disappoints me more when she's like, did you do this? And I'm like, oh. I love to be bragged on. And our God is not a narcissist. No, he's worthy of the praise, you see, because he's good. He's perfect. We can't brag on him enough. Romans 8 and 29, when it speaks of predestination, it says that, We are predestinated to be conformed. Not only are we predestinated to be adopted in the pleasure of God, but we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of God. The word conformed means similar or fashioned unto. To the likeness, the image means the likeness or the profile or the resemblance of God. It doesn't mean we're going to be clones of God, Jesus, walking around in heaven. But it means you will not only be adopted which is a great thing. that The child is adopted. The child is brought home. But, you know, if the God just brought the child home into heaven and he hadn't been changed, he could not enjoy what he was experiencing in heaven because he wouldn't have the nature to enjoy that. But God has set the destination of not only the child to be in heaven, but to be conformed to the image and the resemblance of Jesus by having their body changed. That's amazing. That's a good thing, child of grace. Not only that, Ephesians 1 and verse 11, you remember I told you it mentions this doctrinal point twice in the book of Ephesians. So we ought to know twice as much about it. Sadly, there's people that have never even heard it. Verse 11, he says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Inheritance means an allotment or an assignment. You know, he's given you a peek of the last will and testament of God. I deal a lot with probate matters and people want to come and they want to you know, let's read the will. Let's see what the will says. Let's probate the will. See what the will says. There's been a few times whenever I knew what the will said, and I knew how excited the people were that they couldn't wait to see it. And I said, when they read what it says, they're going to be disappointed <laughs> because they're not getting what they thought they were getting. As a matter of fact, uh, the one that died didn't have what they thought they had, <laughs> what everybody thought they had. Now, there's been a few times on the other end of that when somebody come in, their eyes would pop out and say, they had that. <laughs> but. God has given us a peek of the last will and testament. You know, growing up on the farm, I had such a great life growing up. Back in the days when it was safe for kids to run around through the woods and traipse around and just have a good time. I'd hit the woods on a Saturday morning and wouldn't show back up, you know, to late afternoon. Just have a take a snack with me and just, you know, hunt, build, uh, build tree houses. Just I have all all kinds of fun. I, I ran all over that farm. You know, and and I didn't really it didn't really dawn on me till later. You know, I'm running around on my inheritance. You know, I'm I'm, my feet are going down on the area of my father and my mother's that I will inherit one day unless something happens. I've been able to experience the physical inheritance, the allotment that's there on McCool Farm my entire life. And I'm still there, still get to go out and ride and walk and whatever. But I'm going to tell you, child of grace. None of us have put a foot in the heavenly inheritance. You see, all we can do is just get a little glimpse of it. Like Brother Eric prayed in his prayer. Just a little view of, of through the glass darkly of what it's going to be like. And, it, and we can't imagine what it's going to be like. You see, it says that he, it was according to the purpose. This is verse 11. According to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Who did he counsel with? Isaiah 40 and 14 says, With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Job 33, and I forget the verse, says, Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. (laughs) Who are we to argue against God and say, God, I just don't think it's fair the way you did it. (laughs) That's a very dangerous ground to tread on. It's desecrating the blood of Jesus Christ. The way God did it is and was and ever shall be perfect. A perfect plan. Let's talk more about the pleasure side of predestination. The word pleasure that's found there in Ephesians 1 where it says, Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. The word pleasure means satisfaction or delight or wish or purpose. All those things rolled up into one. It is the satisfaction of God, to the satisfaction, to the delight of God. It is the desire of God. It's the purpose of God. All rolled up into one that you would be adopted as his children and that you would receive the inheritance and that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. I want you to think about that now. Several years ago, when our eighth anniversary was approaching, many, many years ago, I had it in my mind to plan a trip back to the place where Sister Tracy and I went on our honeymoon. And I planned for six months, saved money, and planned and and had all just every little detail worked out. Didn't tell her a thing; she had no clue. I even packed her clothes, most of them. I forgot a couple things, but I packed her clothes. Somehow got the luggage in the back of the truck. Took her out to eat in Birmingham, sitting at the table. I told her to close her eyes. I reached. In the, I'd even bought a T-shirt for this event. It's a big. I was having the time of my life, spending money I didn't have. <laughs> I took this shirt on and pulled the shirt down over me. I said, open your eyes. And it said where we were going. (laughs) And she, what? I said, we're leaving tomorrow morning and we're going to go. I had so much pleasure in planning that trip. Can you amplify that to the degree of infinity and think about the pleasure that God has in planning your trip? (laughs) You see, I think we've thought of this too much in theological terms. It's more than just a theological term, predestination. It is the pleasure of God planning your trip and making sure you're going to be there. (laughs) That was so much fun, planning that trip. It is the pleasure of God to plan your trip, to set your destination. It's His satisfaction. It's His delight. It's His wish. It comes from two words, pleasure, to think good. That's what the two words are. God is thinking good of you when he's planning your destination. Now back to Psalm 115 where it says, Our God is in the heaven and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That word pleased is connected with pleasure, right? If you see God's choosing and God's predestinating in any other light other than the pleasure of God, then you've got the wrong perspective. God's pleasure is for us to be with him and to be holy and without blame before him In love. The only way that we will be there is found in the pleasure and the purpose of God. It's His pleasure to set your destination. What about this? This will do to preach Isaiah 53 and 10. Yet it pleased. What are we talking about? The pleasure of God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him, Christ, to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's you, child of grace. He shall prolong his days. And what? The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That word please, where it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, it means to be inclined. God was inclined to bruise his only begotten son so that the pleasure of the Lord would prosper. You see that? His desire, the value that he placed on what he did was all carried out in his son and the son of God. It says the pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hand. The word prospered means he pushed it forward on the cross as he was hanging there. The pleasure of God was being You say, well, it wasn't a very pleasurable thing. You're right. It wasn't. But it says in Hebrews, the 12th chapter that for the joy that was set before him, the pleasure that was set before Christ, he endured the cross, suffering the shame of the cross. You see, it's the pleasure of God. That's the reason you're going to be in heaven one day. And Christ pushed forward the pleasure of God, and He would not be stopped. He would not be refused. He would accomplish the pleasure of God. So everything I'm talking to you about is all tied up in the work of Jesus Christ. His good pleasure. Listen, the last two weekends, we have enjoyed two wonderful weddings. We've had a great time. I love weddings. Especially when it's the the right people getting married. Brother Will, Sister Rebecca, last weekend we got to see Brother John Anthony and Sister Anna Lee Friday night. I'm telling you, we have had such a good time rejoicing in the covenant and the institution that God has set up. And do you understand that when it comes to your destination, when it comes to God predestinating you to be in heaven one day, all of history, all of time is moving down towards one event. And you know what that is? It's a wedding. Revelations 19 and 9 speaks of the marriage supper of the lamb. The word supper there is what the word we would use for dinner. And it is defined as the chief meal. It's usually a meal that's held in the evening. It comes from the word for feast. And it says... In Revelation nineteen and verse nine. It started out with a wedding in Genesis, right? It started out before sin, before the fall of the garden. It started out with a wedding with God officiating the wedding of Adam and Eve. And child of grace, it's gonna end with a wedding. As a matter of fact, when I say end, it's gonna usher in eternity with a wedding. It's gonna be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation nineteen. And he says in verse 9, "Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. You see, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb that is coming. The root word of supper is the word to devour. At the reception on Friday night, there was a lot of food to devour there. There was a lot of devouring of me as a father of four girls. I was sitting there thinking, that's a lot of money was spent on this food. That's just how I think. I was sitting there thinking, I'll never be able to put on this kind of a show for my girls. This is amazing. It was it was a lot of food. The root word of supper is to devour and to consume, to cost. It costs to put food before people, right? It doesn't just magically appear. I remember when I was growing up, we had a lot of great meals at my my grandparents, at my mom's house and other places. And I remember thinking, it it dawned on me, probably in my teens. Now, some of you that are much wiser and better people than me, it probably dawned on you much earlier. But at one point in my teens, it dawned on me, there's a lot of work and expense that goes into these meals. (laughs) You know, Brother Chris and I, we'd tank up on whatever was there on the table, and then we'd go flop on the couch and turn the TV on and just, oh, you know. But it dawned on me in my teens, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into these meals. There's a lot of money that's spent to buy what needs to go into the love and the fellowship that I'm getting out of these meals. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to get up and help a little bit. That's what grace ought to do for you, child of God. It ought to make you want to get up and help. So well, I'm too tired. Well, Christ was tired too. You say, yeah, but he's God and I'm not. You're a joint heir with Christ. We have no excuse to sit back and say, Well, I'll just, you know, grace just makes me want to lay back and just do nothing. I tell you right now, grace makes me want to get... I look at my time, Psalm 90, and I think, how much time have I got left? And I'm not saying I do it perfect every day, but I think that way. How much time have I got left to preach the Word of God? How much time on an average scale? My time might be up this afternoon. It might be up tomorrow. But if I live the average lifespan, I have less time now to preach the Word of God, I think, than whenever I began. It makes me want to get busy. Grace makes me want to move forward. How about you? It doesn't make me want to be lazy. It doesn't make me want to sit down and do nothing. It makes me want to tell God's children about their destination and the pleasure of God and getting them there. That marriage supper of the lamb, the very root word of supper is the word cost, is the idea of costing something. Child of grace, when you sit down for that marriage supper of the lamb one day, when your destination has been reached, you will know the cost Of what it took to get you there. (laughs) And child of grace, it's not going to be any works of yours. Not by works, lest any man should boast. It's not going to be by the accepting or the praying in or the baptism or the holding on or the persevering. That's not what's going to get you there. The cost of getting you there. You're going to look at the head of that table. Don't ask me how that's going to play out. It's going to be a big table. (laughs) There'll be people there as the stars of the sky and as the sands of the sea. People that were complete strangers to you. rank strangers, as the old song says, in, in this world. And they'll be closer to you than anybody you've ever been close to in this world. And you'll look to the head of the table. And you'll see sitting there in the flesh the cost of what it took to get you to that table. And all the glory is going to be to the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> That's what it's going to cost to get you there. That's what it has cost. To get you there. Did you know what it says in Deuteronomy 32 and 9? As the Lord is talking about the boundaries of the children of Israel, He set the boundaries of the promised land according to the number of the children of Israel that He had chosen to make that nation of Israel. And it says this, very interesting. It says the Lord's portion is His people. You listen to that now. The Lord's allotment, the Lord's inheritance is His people. Our inheritance is heaven because we're joint heirs with Christ. But God's delight, God's pleasure is in you, child of grace, as his people. See, I feel left out. I I feel picked over. I feel like I didn't get my fair share. Let me tell you, as a chosen child of grace, you are the allotment. You are the inheritance of God and he will have you. You see, the Lord's portion is his people. That ought to make us look different at each other, the people of God. And take pleasure in one another. Oh, we've all got the warts and the, uh, and the pimples and the bumps and the bruises and the scars and the troubles. But look past that and see, you're dealing with a child of grace that's the inheritance, the allotment, the portion of God. And we're living in the good pleasure of His will. Matthew Henry Commentary said this. I love this. He said, The result of the counsels of divine love Predestination is the result of the counsels of divine love, not for the sake of anything in them foreseen, but because it was His sovereign will and a thing highly pleasing to Him. It is according to the purpose, the fixed and unalterable will of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, who powerfully accomplishes whatever concerns His elect, as He has wisely and freely foreordained and decreed the last and great end and design of all which is in His own glory. The pleasure of God. It's the pleasure of God to predestinate you. Your destination is set. If I haven't quite convinced you about the pleasure of God, as we close this morning, turn to Luke 10. Luke the 10th chapter. We want to spend the remaining time here in Luke the 10th chapter. The pleasure of predestination. God is pleased to have you as His children in heaven with Him. And in Luke, the 10th chapter, it's really hard to pick out what, you know, what to talk about and what to leave out. But I want to kind of summarize, look at verse one of chapter 10. It says, this is when the Lord sent the 70 out and they go out and Jesus gives them an incredible encouragement about going out and what they're going to experience. And in verse 17, it says the 70 returned with joy. Now, remember what we're talking about, the pleasure of the Lord, the pleasure of predestination. These men returned with pleasure, with joy. And they said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus says to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That doesn't even seem to fit right there, does it? (laughs) What's going on there? Jesus is upstaging their joy. Jesus says, well, that's not a big deal. (laughs) See, and you cast out demons. He said, I saw when Satan fell and was cast out of heaven. (laughs) That's quite an upstaging, is it not? (laughs) You know, you ever been around somebody and you tell them a story like this happened. You can't believe. And they upstage your story. You know, you're like, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened. And then they come back and they say, yeah, well, this happened to me. And you're like, oh, mine's not so amazing anymore. (laughs) I've done that. You've done that. We've all done that. We've experienced that. But they come back and they say, Lord, you're not going to believe this. We cast out. devils. It's amazing. And Jesus says, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. Big deal, boys. The Lord can do that and not insult. He says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Did you catch that? He said, you've got a lot to rejoice in, disciples. You've done some great works out there, but the thing that you should rejoice in the most is that your names are written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life, before the foundation of the world. Now, watch verse 21. Listen. You remember Jesus was called in Isaiah 53 the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You will have to read very carefully and look very closely to find moments in the Gospels when Jesus is actually rejoicing and shouting happy. Most of the time, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Are you all with me? Most of the time, he's experiencing trouble and trials and anguish and eventually torture at the hands of men, wicked men, false trials, mockings, cruel mockings. The Son of God experiencing such as that. But occasionally, a little. if you read carefully, you'll find Christ a time or two rejoicing. <laughs> this is one of those times. Now remember the context. The 70 have come back and they've cast out demons. And Jesus says, big deal. I saw Satan <laughs> fall from heaven. It's okay to rejoice in those things, but you should be rejoicing mostly in the fact that your names are written in heaven. I tell you, that is a very important point of doctrine that our Savior said you should be rejoicing in that more than anything that you have going on around you. People say, well, you know, we're not living in a day of where doctrine should be that, that important. We should just all go along to get along or whatever. That's not what Christ said. Christ said, rejoice in the doctrine that your name is written in heaven before the foundation of the world. And then it says in that hour, verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. You won't find that much in the Gospels. So hold on to this as we close. (laughs) What could it be? What could it be that Christ in this time of great sorrow and trial and anguish, what could it be that he rejoiced over? In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I could just see him looking up to heaven. And by the way, the word rejoice is the same one that was used when it says that Abraham jumped for joy to see my day. Now it says, I was thinking, well, did Jesus actually jump for joy? No, it says he, he jumped in spirit. His joy in spirit. He His heart fluttered. That's pleasure, Right? How many times did my heart flutter? And when I, was, I would think it's a few more months the Sister Tracy. I'm going to spring this surprise on her. I mean, it was just enjoyable time thinking about what I had planned for our destination. And here the Lord, it says, He rejoiced in spirit. He's so far beyond me. He's so far beyond you. But He rejoiced in spirit. And He said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. The Lord says, I'm so glad that That you have revealed through the gospel the truth that their names are written in heaven all things are delivered to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and He to whom the Son will reveal Him. And He turned Him unto His disciples and said privately, And child of grace, this is your message today. This is what God has to say to you when it comes to the fact that your name is written in heaven. I tell you, He rejoices even to this day that your name is written in heaven. I believe that His heart leaps for joy even now in the eternal counsel and purpose of God, knowing that He's got His people and they're going to be there with Him joint heirs, adopted children, the bride and wife of Christ. He looks at them privately in His joy. And He says, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Isn't that something? What is He rejoicing in? He's rejoicing in the choice of God. He's rejoicing in the names of his children being written in heaven. I've enjoyed a lot of great things in this life. We've all had disappointments and we've had troubles and we've had trials and we've had thorns in the flesh, but I tell you I rejoice in a lot of things, a lot of victories. Victories for the Lord. You know, when I see young couples that that the Lord has blessed to come together in his providence and they get married, that's a victory for the Lord. You know, when I think about what we stood and watched over the last couple weekends and all the darkness that's out there and being pumped out daily and the media is dictating what most everybody thinks. Did you know that? It's like hypnosis. And and most people don't even know it. They're dictating what you think. And I stand in a place like I stood Friday night or last Saturday and I look and I see light. I see light. I see hope. I see that there's great things that the Lord is still doing. When I see a young brother coming on and preaching, whenever I see a new gift that the Lord is developing or calling, whenever I see the things in the kingdom of God, if somebody walks down the aisle and says, I want a home in the church, I see all these things that are so wonderful, the joyous things that are going on around us. We have things to rejoice in. I hope and pray that you're one of those that your cup is half full and not half empty. May the cup be half full for you. May the cup be overflowing for you. But child of grace, we can rejoice in those things. And they're great and they're wonderful. But we're going to hit the valley again at some point, right? We're going to ride on the mountaintop and then we're going to go back down to the valley. That's this life. It's up, it's down. It's, it's sometimes good, it's sometimes bad. For some people it may be most of the time bad. But I'll tell you, child of God, you can rejoice in this. As our Savior, who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he, it says that we hid our faces from Him. In this moment, when we see this little snapshot of His life here on the earth, it says that He rejoiced in spirit, because He knew that those things had been revealed from heaven to them, that their names were written in heaven, that they, in the pleasure of God, had their destination set to be in heaven one day. And child of grace, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how down you go, no matter how far down in the pit you may feel to be, you can rejoice in the fact that the Son of God rejoiced in your names are written in heaven. (laughs) This is a rough life. And as you go on and time goes by, it seems to only get rougher. Older folks, Amen. (laughs) It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter what government sits on the seat, the seats of power in the world. It doesn't matter who oppresses. It doesn't matter who gets the goods or who gets the the better of someone. It doesn't matter at this point if if justice is done or not. I mean, it matters. You understand what I'm saying? But ultimately, when we sit down around that table, the marriage supper of the Lamb, none of that is going to matter anymore. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to look to my right and I'm going to look to my left or across the table. And I'm probably going to think, what is that person doing here? <laughs> and they're probably going to look at me and think, what is that guy doing here? And those will be our closest companions with the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. There's nobody closer in this world to me than my wife. Nobody. That's the way God intended it for to be. And as much as I love her and as much as she loves me, the rankest stranger on the face of the earth, on the other side of the world, from some long forgotten time, that child of God will be closer to you and to me than anybody that we've ever been close to in this world. That just seems like a dream, doesn't it? Seems like a dream. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dream. Our hearts filled with joy, our mouths filled with laughter. You know, I've said many, many times, life is either a tragedy or a comedy. I'm just going to keep on laughing and trying to keep a good humor about it. Keep the good humor about yourself. Keep the focus and the perspective on this fact that your name is written in heaven. It's the pleasure that God had in predestinating you to be conformed to His image, to be adopted as His child, and to be a joint heir with Christ and the wife, the bride of God. Everything is headed towards that final, ultimate wedding ceremony. And I love weddings here now, but there will never be a wedding like that. (laughs) Never. I hope and pray that you don't just see predestination as just some kind of theological term. Uh, we got to digest it and, and swallow it and, you know, just even though it's kind of a harsh doctrine, it's not a harsh doctrine. It's harsh to tell somebody to do something that they can't do. That's harsh to say, do this and then you can go to heaven. That's harsh. It's not harsh. It's loving. It's the pleasure of God to say, Jesus did it all. <laughs> he paid it all. He pushed forward the purpose of God, the pleasure of God, prospered in his hands. And when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. Your salvation was secure and your destination was set. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm sure all of you have planned trips. I'm sure all of you have in- enjoyed that. Maybe, maybe you don't enjoy it like I do, but maybe you do. <laughs> I've been on a lot of trips. I've done a lot of planning. I've had some other people plan trips for me, and I like that too. It takes a lot of pressure off of me. <laughs> but can we not get as excited about the destination that God has for us, the trip that God has planned for us, can we not get as excited about that as we can to go into some natural place in this world? It's okay to be excited about going here, there, wherever. I get excited too. But think about where we're going. Think about the allotment that's in heaven, the inheritance that waits for you. Jesus said to the apostles, He says, in my Father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, won't it be wonderful there? And until then, let's enjoy the journey. Let's enjoy our time. Christ himself rejoiced in this truth. you are predestinated according to the pleasure of God. if that's something that you believe here this morning, then what doth hinder you from being baptized as a member or becoming a member of the church of God? We give it opportunity as we stand and sing some psalms.